Hey, Lindsay, do you want to play a game with me? Sure. Okay, so I'm going to give you three quotes from a movie that I'm going to talk about this episode. You have to see if you can figure out the movie from the quotes. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, quote number one. Hold on here. Things will happen in your life that you can't stop, but that's no reason to shut out the world. Do you know what it is? <laughs> yes, I do. What is it? Do you want the second one? Yeah. All right, number two. We all used to try so hard to fit in. We wanted to look exactly like, do all the same things, practically be the same person. But when we weren't looking, that all changed. The treehouse was supposed to bring us more independence. But what the summer actually brought was independence from each other. Now and then? Correct. Can I read you the last one, though? Okay. So the last one says, all women have a garden, and a garden means a big hose to water it, or a small hose, as long as it works. Thank you for playing. You're welcome. Welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. So this is season two where we're talking about 80s and 90s kids movies we grew up loving and sometimes fearing. This is purely in the loving camp. This is one that always kind of spoke to me. I have a a deep admiration for movies set in the summer, one particular summer in the middle of childhood where... You know, life is just not the same afterwards. We saw it a bit with Stand By Me. In fact, this was the kind of story I tried to write when I was younger. I I can't remember if it was middle school or high school, but I attempted to write this particular kind of story, including all of my friends in my neighborhood and the shenanigans that would ensue. And of course, I am talking about now and then. It also has Devin Sawa. You're going to see him again, I do believe, but just whoo. He was my he was my kid crush. So before we dive into the spoiler-filled summary, we of course need to do some lazy internet research. And again, this is very, very lazy research. I just Google a few things and see what comes up. Apparently, Leonardo DiCaprio was supposed to be in the movie. The Oscar nominee was originally set to play the role of the Vietnam War veteran the girls meet on their bike adventure, but he dropped out at the last minute. We get somebody just as good, in my opinion. The four younger versions of the girls were cast first. So noting Christina Ricci was the very first actor cast before the adults were brought in for the final week of filming in Savannah. The um, director revealed that Demi Moore, who played Samantha and was a producer on the film, Rosie O'Donnell, Melanie Griffith, and Rita Wilson watched footage of the girls' performances to inform their own. I don't really think they did much. They did much. I'm trying to think back and there was no, there were no mannerisms really that it felt like they did any differently to, to match with the girls. I don't know. I, maybe I need to do a rewatch now thinking back to that because I read this, this little bit of trivia after the fact. So now and then wasn't the original title while filming the movie. It was called the Gaslight Edition, which is the subdivision the girls lived in. Roberta's mom revealed... The photo of Roberta's mom she carried everywhere, it's the producer. That's kind of fun. Her name was Jennifer Todd. So Now and Then takes place in Shelby, Indiana, which is based on writer Marlene King's hometown of Winchester, Indiana, but was primarily filmed in Statesboro, Georgia. And I did did a little map research that I didn't really need to do because I was born and raised here in Indiana, and so I, I know the geography of the state fairly well. I mean, not perfectly by any stretch, but I, they, they mention, I do believe they mention green, 
Field or they call it Greenville and then there's Shelby. So I'm assuming Shelby is kind of like Shelbyville and then Greenville is Greenfield, if that's what they said. The closed caption said Greenfield. So we're going to go with Greenfield. And then Winchester is just a little kind of northwest of that. So, or east, northeast of that. So, you know, that's kind of cool. I kind of wish they had just called it Shelbyville, but you know, whatever. And filmed in Georgia. Does Indiana look like Georgia? I don't know. It always kind of, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you've noticed this, that there are a lot of TV shows and a lot of movies set in Indiana. So I just, maybe that we've just got a lot of creative people that have come from here that are just bored and really like to write. I would like to become one of those people. Anyway, in the scene where Chrissy punches Roberta in the face for pretending to drown, Christina Ricci forgot to turn her head and ended up getting punched in the face full force. Their production had to shut down for a few days because Christina was kind of badly bruised. I love that. And in the movie, they are singing the Tony Orlando song, Knock Three Times, while they're on their way to do research at the library. The song was not actually released until November 1970 and therefore would not have been possible to listen to in the summer of 1970 when the story takes place. And that, you know, just concludes our lazy internet research. Okay, time for that spoiler-filled walkthrough of the movie. It starts with a flashback. The movie... It starts with our four heroines in a neighborhood game of Red Rover. So it's the young version of the girls. They're the last lady standing on their side, but they're not ready to go down without a fight. The only option, of course, is to, to send the scrawny dweeb over who, you know, falls without a problem. And the game continues. The four girls standing strong together. So that's kind of the vibe that we've got these, you know, these friends who um, support one another and are sassy and strong-willed. And then through the title credits, we get memories kind of pulled together, showing each girl as they were and as they are now. Successful, sophisticated women who have gone their own ways, but there's a pact. Should one of them be in need, the others must come without argument, apparently. And a very pregnant Chrissy is called. I do believe that if I were to ever get pregnant, I would be like, no, you're coming because I don't want to do this anymore. But I have a fear of pregnancy. We can talk about that at a different time. So the movie is a reunion. It's a promise fulfilled. The trip home for many, a trip that brings back memories. Flashbacks of a special summer. <sighs> My favorite kind of movie. Chrissy and Roberta still live in their hometown. Chrissy is a housewife and Roberta a doctor. Sam is a writer who is reluctant to make the journey. And Tina, or Teeny, is an actress who somehow finds time in her busy schedule to pull up in a limo. <laughs> and the limo driver stays throughout the throughout the movie does that happen i that was my one of my favorite parts of the movie the fact that the limo driver just hangs out in front of the house as they are reminiscing and just you know stays there so as they reconnect over hamburgers everybody's at chrissy's house she's worried about becoming a mom and so they're just they're reminiscing and as they're reconnecting over hamburgers we're whisked back to the summer of 1970 when the girls were saving money to buy a treehouse question are prefab tree houses a thing i i never had a tree house i always wanted a tree house always i thought that would have been the coolest thing and this movie just made that even worse but aren't trees shaped differently so how could you get a prefab treehouse 
if you have to design a treehouse around the specific shape of a tree. I don't understand the potential logistics of a prefabricated one. If if you if that's a real thing, um, please let me know. And this isn't one like, hey, it's a kit. No, as we will come to find out later in the movie, it's just sitting in a parking lot waiting to be purchased. So I don't know. Let's talk about that sometime. I'm chasing squirrels. I'm sorry. So over the next few minutes, we get a montage of character development with each girl. Sam, who is in a sense telling the story, which of course she is because she's the writer, has as a young girl decorated her bedroom with images of space, which is fitting because she one day becomes a science fiction author. There's trouble at home and the sounds of her parents fighting seems to be kind of a common occurrence, so common that while she's up late reading in bed under the light of a flashlight, her younger sister sneaks in for comfort. So not all is great at Sam's house. Then we get young Roberta, a tomboy who is disgusted that she got boobs. And so she just tapes them down. Um, I was totally a Roberta and desperately misses her mom who has passed away. We'll find more out find out more about that in a little bit. So she is being raised by a single dad and has apparently a lot of brothers, which just kind of made her tough. Um, so that's, that's Roberta. Then we have Tina or Teeny as she's called by the girls. She's a bit of a diva. She likes practicing her Academy Award speech in front of the mirror in full makeup and jewelry. What I, <laughs> what's so funny about this is that these girls become exactly what they, I, <laughs> There, I don't know how to say this. There, there seems to be very little development actually because they are exactly who they are in the future in the past. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense. But you know, I, I always wanted to be an archaeologist when I was young, and now I'm a librarian. So there was there was a change, but there doesn't seem to have been a change with these girls. There's the girl who likes science fiction and wants to be a writer becomes a writer. The girl who is practicing her Academy Award speech becomes an actress, the girl who has, which I'm going to get to in a second, some very interesting conversations with her mother, who is Susie Homemaker, becomes a housewife. It, It's just a little odd. Um, but back to Tina or Teeny, she, she's lonely. Her parents are kind of country, country clubbers. They throw a lot of parties. They don't, she doesn't really know them. They're just kind of having their own life and she lives upstairs. And then we get Chrissy, sweet Chrissy is the product of an overbearing mother with OCD. But the mother is played by Bonnie Hunt, who is one of my favorite actresses, and I really miss her, and I wish she would come back. In her little clip, though, you get the best conversation of the whole movie. So the mom walks into Chrissy's bedroom as she's brushing her hair, you know, 100 times on each side or however girls do that. I didn't brush my hair until I was in high school because I just didn't care. And the mom comes in and she goes, you know, Chrissy, I've been thinking about what you asked me. And Chrissy's just like, yes, about sex. And the mom goes, yes, dear, you say that very casually, which is very scary for mommy. It's like someone going, boo, ah, that's what sex is. <sighs> this conversation is just so great. And then they start talking about gardening, how all women have a garden and a garden needs a big hose to water it. Oh, just kills me every time. And it comes back over and over in the in the movie because the girls just make fun of Chrissy because this that's how she knows about sex is these weird gardening metaphors. It's great. And then all of a sudden we're on the mean streets of the neighborhood with the Wormers. It's a group of no good brothers who have it out for the girls. Uh, it's really just some, you know, 
flirting in disguise. And yes, dear listeners, the warmers are led by the oldest brother, played by Devin Sawa. The teen celebrity crush, floppy blonde hair, blue eyes, just the cutest, just the cutest. I could, we could just do a Devin Sawa season. I mean, it wouldn't be that long because he wasn't in that many things. But just accept this as Devin Sawa Appreciation Day. There we go. So we get a sneak peek of the merry war between the groups when the boys ride by on their bikes and pelt the girls with water balloons filled with jello water. I mean, it's green. I don't really know what's in the water. The prank is not well received, and the girls, they're going to promise retribution, which they're going to get eventually. Spoilers. We then get the girls riding around the town square, stopping at a local diner for black cows, which I had to look that up. I was like, what is a black cow? It's a Coke float. So these are my kind of girls. And while they count, they're counting their treehouse money, and Teeny is reading them a quiz out of Cosmo. That's when Sam brings up the idea of a seance. There is a full moon, a festival of the spirits, the perfect night to communicate with the dead. And this seems to be something they've done on occasion. Nothing's ever happened. Chrissy thinks it's bogus. Sam gets really into it. Roberta and Teeny are just like, whatever. It gives us something to do. So they decide that they are going to, they're going to have another seance in the cemetery. So that night they sneak out of their houses to meet up. They have candles lit. They're sitting on a, on a, on a grave site <laughs> in a circle. The girls try to reach out. They just happen to be sitting next to a, a headstone that says, Dear Johnny. So they're trying to reach out to Dear Johnny, a young boy um, that they don't know anything about that had passed away at some point several years before in the town. And after Chrissy pretends to be in touch with his spirit before just cracking up, Lightning strikes a tree just behind them, and a freak storm starts, which is not the only time that this happens in the movie, and it sends the girls running in panic. The experience stays with them, and in each of their own ways, they kind of feel haunted by this young boy. Later that week, I think, or maybe later that night, it wasn't raining. Some time has passed. I don't know if it's days. I don't know if it's just the same night. They signal each other from their rooms, which is also another part of my favorite thing. That would have been awesome as a kid to live that close to all of your friends where it's a very intricate combination of moves that they have. One person, I think it's Roberta, flashes a light into Teeny's room. Teeny responds. Teeny ends up getting on a walkie-talkie to um, Chrissy. I forget how Sam gets a hold of Roberta, but I, I just, I like that that, you know, hey, we're calling in the troops. I wish I had lived that close to all of my friends, but I did not. So they, clad in their pajamas, the girls head back into the cemetery uh, because they feel haunted by this, this ghost dear Johnny. And they find out that Johnny's tombstone has been cracked, convincing them that the haunting is real. Gotta love a ghost story. Gotta love a ghost story. I could go on and on about, I have a, just a fascination with ghosts, even though I don't think I really believe in them. But I spent an entire Halloween watching a stupid show on a stupid channel. (laughs) This is an interesting story where it was ghost adventures and they set up cameras and you could get on your computer and watch live the computers, the cameras. And if you saw something, you were supposed to hit a button. I did this for a couple hours. That's yeah. It was intense, but I don't even think I believe in ghosts. So the next day, because our girls are geniuses, they head to the local library to see what they can find out 
on the young boy that died, on Dear Johnny. Unfortunately, records from before the 50s were destroyed in a fire. How tragic is a library fire? This makes me so sad to even think about. So they find out that they have to ride to another town that has county papers if they want to find anything. So what's that mean? Bike ride. I mean, talk about wishing. I had taken day-long bike rides. (sighs) The closest I got were afternoons spent at the local putt-putt off of Southport Road. My brother and I would ride there because you could, I think it was on Mondays, you could play putt-putt all day for $5. And they would let you leave and come back. So we'd go in the morning and play. And then we'd go visit my grandma who lived nearby. Then we'd go over to the Dairy Queen for lunch. And then we'd play some more. I mean, we'd just spend the whole day there. But that's as far as I got. We were not near country roads where you could just take off and ride for hours. And that, that would have been so much fun. So they have a radio tied to the handlebars, and the girls set out down these country roads, past cows and country stores, that, a very cute little country store where they, they get a snack. Again, they talk about boobs and French kissing and Chrissy's gardening metaphors about getting pregnant, which is just a joy. If you've not seen this movie, you should watch it. It's a joy. So during a pit stop, poor Chrissy is the victim of a bird bombing as they find a new, and so she's tired. She's like, I want to stop. They're looking up at these birds, and of course, she gets hit. So she starts to freak out, and they're just, they just happen to be near a lake or a pond. And they knew it was there, even though it was through the woods. So must be someplace that they go to on occasion. Um, so they go in, and if, you know one thing leads to another, and they all end up jumping in the water. And then Roberta decides that she's going to climb up a tree and jump in but the girl's like it's too shallow it's too shallow but she does it anyway and so she jumps in and then she just kind of disappears and they're looking for her they're calling her name and they turn and they see her floating face down in the the water a couple you know a couple feet away so they rush over to get her and um chrissy no teeny and sam pull her onto the shore and then they start to argue about who should give her cpr Chrissy comes in and pushes him out of the way, and she's she's about to give mouth to mouth when Roberta, um, like spits water in her face and starts laughing. Well, that really upsets Chrissy, so she just punches her in the face. And you've got to love friends who just let each other have it. <laughs> I've never punched a friend in the face, but you can tell how close they are by that, which I really kind of liked. Since her mother's death, Roberta has struggled with death, and she doesn't seem to get why the other girls might find those kinds of tricks scary and scarring. And I guess it they may allude to the fact that it's not the first time she's done something like that. But the girls make up because they are really good friends, and they're very sweet. And then they hear a noise in the distance, the hollering of boys somewhere else in the lake. And of course, it's the wormers, naked as jaybirds, splashing around in the water. Which leads to another great conversation about the view and how little Chrissy actually understands about sex and how she believes her mother may be, she goes, I I believe my mother may be misinformed. During my rewatches, I was watching this scene, which is a little uncomfortable because I don't think you'd ever get this scene in a kid's movie today because the boys are naked. Um, I mean, you don't see anything you see their butts but you don't you know but it's still a little uncomfortable because they're under age and that it, it makes sense within the the storytelling but I started to think a lot about these characters and how I always kind of compared myself to them where everybody else around me kind of compared themselves to the babysitter's club I never really read the babysitter's club I, I, I 
maybe one or two. It was not my go-to series. I read a lot more of the boxcar children, but everybody would be, I'm a Stacy, or I'm a Claudia, or I'm a Marianne, or I'm a Christy. They would always say that, but I was always, well, I'm a part Chrissy, part Roberta, part Sam, because I liked the writing element, didn't really have a lot of teeny. That's who I compared myself to. And I was definitely, I was, I was definitely a Chrissy. I was a Chrissy slash Sam, I think. I don't, I don't know. But it just is interesting how we each kind of have that thing that we gravitate towards and we saw a reflection of ourselves. And that was this, this movie for me, not the Babysitter's Club where it seemed to be for everybody else. But anyway, so then they get back on their, they, oh, no, they don't just get back on their bikes. It's retribution time. They decide, hey, this is how we're going to get back at the boys. We're going to steal their clothes. So they steal the clothes, make their selves known. They go running through the forest. The boys jump out of the water, running naked after them. Um, they're upset. The girls then just kind of fling the clothes as they're riding their bikes down there, which is, a, you know, retribution wise, I, I guess it's good. <laughs> I guess it's good. It made the boys uncomfortable. So I guess that's good. If you really wanted to embarrass them that, well, no, it's still embarrassing. You're, you're a boy and girls got your clothes and you're running naked. Never mind. So they head on, the girls continue on. They've got a job to do. They need to get to this other library. And so they make it to Greenville, Greenfield, whatever they're calling it. Immediately go in and they're sitting in the basement looking at bound copies of old newspapers. As they flip through the dusty pages, Roberta ends up finding an article about the car crash that killed her mother. And she's heartbroken. She decides to make a copy of the story. Um, you can tell that it's taken her by surprise a little bit as if this was not the story that she was told. Uh, but she kind of tells everybody, hey, it's fine. And they, the hunt continues. Just a few seconds later, Sam finds a brief obituary about the deaths of Jonathan or dear Johnny and his mother. Uh, there were some pages ripped out of the book, so they don't have a lot. All they can find is that the funeral services remained private and there was no cause of death, which just, you know, intensifies the mystery. I don't know if the trip was worthwhile. I'm going to say it was. They got to bond some more. Uh, they found out a little bit more about it, I guess, at least a time frame. So on their way home, they run into a, the Vietnam vet who's hitchhiking down the road. As mentioned, that could have been played by Leonardo DiCaprio, but no, in fact, it was played by one Brendan Fraser. They ask him about the war. They smoke some cigarettes, which they're not very good at, and get some undeep conversation really about how parents don't really know everything. It's really a throwaway scene to me that doesn't really advance the plot at all. They don't, I think they were trying to set a context, um, put you in a very specific time and place, but the war and the hippie era and that kind of thing, Hitchhikers doesn't play a part anywhere else in the movie. So it seems a little weird to me, but a cameo from Brenda Fraser is never a bad thing, so it will be allowed. So when the library failed to provide any real useful information, they decide that the next best, best thing to do, of course, is to go to a psychic. So the psychic is played by Janine Garofalo, which much like Brendan Fraser is almost always a welcome addition to any movie. And of course, she's very dramatic, most definitely has a flair about her, but she is equally as unhelpful as their last stop. And then they're, they're just 
burning through this treehouse money. And I don't even really know how we, we find out one job they do for treehouse money, but I don't know how they're earning it other than that. They don't have jobs. So the, the mystery of Dear Johnny continues. Next up, they decide they need to find an old person, someone that was alive that they know around that time. And Sam has the great idea to ask her grandma, you know, someone who, who's old enough to know things. But grandma plays poker, so they have to wait until the next morning, leaving plenty of time to head to the park to flirt with the boys during a softball game. Roberta goes up to bat, and Scott Warmer, Devin Sawa, who pulls the guys in from the outfield. That just really ticks her off, but it, boy, is it youthful flirting at its best. Unfortunately, sitting on the stands is this kid who's like, girls can't play baseball, so Roberta has had enough of that. She goes and punches him in the face. And then Sam gets involved when the stupid kid badmouths Roberta's deceased mom, and I guess the game is over. The girls feel powerful, um, and they just as you can imagine, uh, the kids just kind of circle around and watch the fight happen. Nobody tries to pull them off, so the girls, they, they win. When Sam gets home, she is obviously on a high from the fight. She discovers, though, that her mom has invited over a gentleman caller. So we learn that um, the fighting that has happened in the house has caused her dad to leave. Her dad has left the family, has left the house. So now her mom is dating over the course of a summer, which seems a little quick to me. but And also to Sam, um, which is just a punch in the gut. She She misses her father. I mean, he's barely gone. The dinner date is too much for Sam, who then escapes to Tina, Teeny's house, Tina's house, finding her friend sitting on the roof watching Love Story that's playing in a nearby drive-in theater. Not the first movie this season where a kid has the good fortune to live, to have that kind of a view, to live that closely to a drive-in theater and be able to see it. I wish that was my house. That would be awesome. I would never come down off the roof at night. But poor Teeny is left alone again while her parents are entertaining a crowd downstairs. So the, the two decide to test out the treehouse they've been saving for all summer. You know, the one that is just sitting in the parking lot. Then we transition to Roberta, who's shooting hoops in her driveway when Scott Warmer walks by. He comments on her shooting form. Such a boy. In all fairness, she does really need to work on her technique. And the two start to play one-on-one. Roberta scores, but only after she totally carries the ball. He should have called it. He shouldn't have let her get away with that. And then Scott checks it. She um, plays the worst defense I've ever seen. Her arms are just kind of hanging at the side of her body. He tries to shoot, misses it. She gets the rebound, so that that's good at least. Uh, and then she shoots it again and gets another two. He could have totally blocked her shot. Why he didn't even try? <sighs> He just, he's letting her win. I don't like that. Boys should not let girls win. They should just play and see who wins in real life. So he tells her she's good, debatable, and not just for a girl, which is just the right thing to say to get her to ask if he wants a pop. Okay. Quick break here. So I, again, I grew up born and raised here in central Indiana. I have never referred to a carbonated beverage as pop. I, and I don't believe I know many people born and raised here that have referred to it as pop. To me, actually, I was <laughs> I would refer to everything as a Coke. I mean, I could want a Sprite and I'd say, I'm going to go get a Coke. Um, or I would maybe occasionally say a soda, but I wouldn't say pop. So I would like to meet this writer, Marlene King, was that her name, and say, did you really say pop here in Indiana? 
it's if you if you were a pop person and you grew up here, let me know. I just find that interesting that those kinds of words how they spread and how, you know, who uses them regionally in them. But anyway, so they're sitting down. That's they're drinking the pop. Scott's like, you know, Roberta, why don't we why do we fight all the time? And she's like, I don't know. And then she goes, he goes, can I kiss you? And she says yes. And then things get awkward for poor Scott when she threatens to beat him up if he tells anyone. So they they kiss. We have a kiss. She gets to kiss him. She's already kissed him once in Casper. So I don't really think it's fair that she got to kiss him again. And I, if I remember correctly, as a part of my lazy internet research, I did read that... Um, all the girls had a crush on him, which is understandable, but the, the lead was Christina Ricci. She, she had his attention, which seems right, because she gets to kiss him all the time. We're getting off track again. Back to Sam and Teeny. They're laying in the treehouse, again, that's sitting in a parking lot, and they're playing a game of truth or dare. The game eventually dissolves into conversation about parents. Sam finally confides in a friend about her dad leaving, and Teeny admits that she doesn't really know her parents, uh, but they're there for one another, which, again, I love. I, I love, just like I did in Stand By Me, I love teenagers who are willing to be vulnerable and talk to each other about things that are important. Uh, and, you know, working as a teen librarian, you both hope that happens and occasionally get to see it, um, which is just, it's absolutely amazing. Teenagers are amazing. I, I, I do adore them. But then another freak storm happens, right? So <laughs> these freak summer storms that happen late at night as the girls are wandering around their hometown after sneaking out of their house. So they start to ride their bikes home, but Sam drops a bracelet and the two stop on the side of the ro road in the downpour to look for it. Somehow in the dark, teenies can see the bracelet in a drain, storm drain. And Sam's like, I'll climb in after it. I have never climbed it. I can. I don't think you can climb into storm dreams anymore. That ha that must have changed. Maybe something horrible happened. I hope not. That they close it off so you can't climb into one. And just as she's trying to get out, there's a huge water surge, and Teeny struggles to get her and starts to panic. So just when it looks like Sam might drown, a man comes up, jumps into the drain, and lifts her out. And his name is Crazy Pete. He's this strange man that just kind of roams the streets at night. You might also know, know him as um, Duncan from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, or Ben Weatherstaff, the gardener in The Secret Garden, or Maurice and Ever After, all of these great movies. He, you know, this guy, what's his name? Did, did I say his name? I didn't say his name. I don't know his name. <laughs> but I like him. I like him in a lot of things. I'm going to have to look that up. But poor Pete, he just isn't a fan of people and he finds the night safer. So that's why he comes out at night. And so they thank him and they ride off. And the next day, the girls uh, decide to paint Roberta's garage for 10 treehouse dollars. That's the one way we find them actually earning money for the treehouse and not spending it. We have another warmer run in flirty eyes between Roberta and Scott. And then we get the hilarious line. That was the day Roberta stopped taping her boobs. Oh, it just kills me. <laughs> After the job is done, they head over to Sam's grandma's house, hoping to finally put to rest the mystery of Dear Johnny, because that's the point of this whole movie, sort of. I mean, it's one of those childhood growth summer movies, but also what's happening with Dear Johnny. She knows what happens, but doesn't want to dredge up the sad memory. 
So, and then she she feeds the girls, but before they can eat or drink anything, she puts it all in, and then she puts some um, like a toupee on her head, even though she has plenty of hair, and she rushes out the door because there's a bingo game that she's got to do, and she's she jumps into a convertible with her friends. Well, then the girl's like, well, you know what? Sam's grandpa collected stuff in a scrapbook. So they they stack up lawn furniture into a tower and then sneak into the attic, which doesn't seem safe, um, to find Sam's grandpa's stash because apparently he is a hoarder. And so as they're unpacking things and, you know, looking through trunks, they discover an article about the murder of Johnny and his mom when a man broke into their home. The, the talk of death and safety of the town is too much for Roberta, who, again, is still grieving the loss of her mother. Chrissy consoles her. She, Roberta does this. This, to me, was the worst acting of the whole movie, where she's throwing stuff, but only sort of. There's not a lot of emotion in it. Um, but Chrissy consoles her and assures her that she's not alone in the small group of friends just another moment where they grow, grow closer together. And that's when they make the pact that no matter what happens or what they do in life, they'll always be there for each other. So that's an important moment, you know? That's how everybody comes back later. So that night, they head back to the cemetery to put dear Johnny to rest. They light the candles, they start the seance, but they're interrupted by a bright light. Um, and now all of a sudden, there's this man yelling at him, and he has a tractor, and he's got a replacement stone, headstone, for Johnny, which do they do that at night? Is that when they put headstones up? It, and then, but then he tells them that, you know, the, the headstone wasn't haunted. I ran over it with the tractor, but they saw it the same night that they had gone out to do the first seance. So why was he driving his tractor through the cemetery at night? That seems like a poor life choice. I have questions about this, the cemetery in this particular person um so they they're like oh well they leave disappointed that they it, there wasn't a haunting they kind of wasted their summer doing this they feel disappointed so sam they start to walk off but sam forgot something so she turns to go back and that's when she finds crazy pete at the grave um johnny's father still in mourning for his family and he is guilt-stricken that he wasn't there to save them so Sam thanks him, though, for being there to save her that night in the storm. And he shares with her that there will always be things that happen to us in life that you can't stop. But that's not a reason to shut out the world. And that right there, friends, is the lesson of the movie, which we don't have to do that part of the podcast then because they just flat out told us. Because you see that over and over and over in the movie when you're scared, when something happens, you, you, don't, you don't shut it out. Sam, come, you know could have shut out the world, but no, she turned to her friends when she was struggling with stuff at home. Same with Chrissy, even as an adult, that this fear that she has about being pregnant and about becoming her mom and all of that, that she, she allowed people in. She didn't shut out the world. So I really, I like that. One glass glimpse of our girls that fateful summer when they started to grow up, decorating the treehouse that they had worked so hard for. So they finally get the treehouse. And then we have a flash to current day as the group hurries Chrissy to the hospital to have her baby. They're all in the room, which feels a little weird to me. If, if my friend was like, hey, I want you in the room with me, I don't know if I would do it. I, don't, I wouldn't want to be in the room for my own pregnancy. I don't know if I wouldn't be in the room. <laughs> somebody else's but they kept their promise they had each other in a time of need and they realized that sometimes home 
It's somewhere where you can come back to, especially when home is a group of people who know you through good times and bad. Then cue pop song and another game of Red Rover to start the credits. The end. Oh, that was that felt long. Was that long? I just love this movie so much. I like how they do at the beginning of the movie really attempt to do some character development. One thing that always bothers me throughout the movie, when they're playing Truth or Dare, when Sam and Teenie are in the treehouse when it's still in the parking lot playing Truth or Dare, they come up with a question that's like, oh, we're stranded on a desert island. There's no food. Who would you eat first? And they say Chrissy because... They keep calling her fat and she refers to herself as fat. I don't love that part of the movie because she is not, she does not have a weight issue. She's a beautiful girl. So that kind of bothers me a little. There's, there's some stereotyping, which is difficult. Um, I did read somewhere too, that they made a decision not to make, they almost made Roberta a lesbian, which I think fit her persona at the beginning much better. And then they got Rosie O'Donnell, which made sense to be, her older self. Um, so that I just, it, there was stereotyping. And like I said, some of the, I wish the girls, I wish somebody had taken a complete left turn and you're like, oh, I did not imagine that they would become this. They, they set up the development a little too much, which, you know, they, they don't have a lot of time. What, like 90 some minutes <laughs> to do this movie. So you got to do the, the, the characterization right up front, just make it stick. But overall, it's a very sweet movie. Again, just like Stand By Me, of friendship and loyalty and vulnerability, um, about opening yourself up to others, allowing yourself to be compassionate and open-hearted, which is not always easy to do. It's about grief, which I think is fascinating. You get to see uh, Sam grieve the destruction of her family, not destruction, but the splitting of her family. You get to see Roberta grieving her mom. You get to see Teeny kind of grieving the childhood she doesn't have. She she is very mature for her age. And you get to see Chrissy grieving, in a sense, her childhood as well, that, that she doesn't understand, almost grieving ignorance in a sense. It's It's an interesting concept about, you know, the I, I love that part. And you don't always often see that in movies or TV shows now that I think about it. The idea that your parents are telling you one thing and what you're learning from your friends is something completely different. Overall, I love this movie. It is one of my favorites. Um, I would not recast anybody. I like all of the girls. And I, and I really do like the choices they made for them as adults. I think it worked really well. You don't get to know them a whole lot. Um, but they, they picked a nice group that made it work. Does this or did this need a sequel? No, it did not. And thank goodness it didn't get one. Except for maybe the one that I wrote about my friends in my neighborhood because it was inspiring to me. Rewatchability. Absolutely. This is a great summer movie. It's a great, great summer movie. Um, especially if, if you like nostalgia and kind of thinking about the memories of your childhood in the summer. But what do you think of Now and Then? Have you seen it? Do you love it? Do you love summer movies? What is your favorite summer movie, like kids movie? I I don't know if this is my favorite. I think I would probably go with The Sandlot. The Sandlot is my favorite, but this is a close second. I love this so much. But that's it for today. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, really. 
As always, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you've subscribed so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you would rate and review but only if it's nice, please. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as A Bit of Fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today and I will see you next time.